Thank you for joining us to hear today's message. At Faith Assembly, our passion and purpose is loving people to life in Christ. To find out more information, visit our website, faithnewcumberland.com. So the first thing I want to tell you before I, before I get to the scriptures, I want to tell you a little bit of my story uh, because I want you to know how ridiculous it is that I'm the one up here with the microphone. <laughs> I want you to know that, that it is absolutely crazy and, and that many of you are far more qualified than I am to be standing up here with this microphone. But Pastor gave it to me, so I'm going to use it. Amen, amen. No, but I, I've, been, I've been a Christian for, for 10 years. I'm, I'm 10 years old in Christ. I'm a 10-year-old. <laughs> like, like, I'm new at this thing, right? So before I was a Christian, 10 years ago or 11 years ago, it's almost, it'll be 11 years in September. So 11 years ago, I was a drug addict. I mean, I was addicted to everything from weed to cocaine to, to opiates and everything in between, right? I was, I was absolutely, that was my entire life. I was high 24-7, usually on, on three drugs, right? I mean, I was, my entire life was getting high and getting money. I was a drug dealer. I was, I was a very violent, bad individual. Uh, I got in fights constantly. Um, I, I got people hooked on drugs for my own personal gain. I mean, that was, that was my entire life 11 years ago. 11 years ago, all I cared about was getting drugs and getting money. And if you got in the way of one of those two goals, I didn't care what happened to you. I was in and out of jail. I have multiple felonies on my record. And not like nice felonies, right? <laughs> like, I don't know if there are nice felonies, but, but, not like, <laughs> but like my original charges, and I pled down to residential burglary and theft in the first degree. My original charges were armed robbery, unlawful imprisonment, assault in the first degree. Like, like I was nuts, okay? And, and I, I have to really preface that because people say I can't see that in you, and I can't either. And it feels like a movie I watch sometime. But I was like insane, right? And, uh, and so 11 years ago, it was actually my third time in prison, right? <laughs> Almost 11 years ago, my third time in prison, uh, I had a Damascus Road encounter with God. Like Paul getting knocked off his horse, right? I mean, I had a Damascus Road encounter in a prison chapel. Uh, my, my cellmate invited me to go with him to the chapel. And, and I went not because I was expecting anything, but because I had nothing better to do. Right. And even my cellmate was like, he was a crazy crackhead. I mean, he was he was nuts. But when he was in prison, he went to chapel. So I went to the chapel with him and, uh, and I was sitting in the in the chair and no one talked to me. No one preached. No one prayed for me. But there was a band that was playing music and I was just sitting there and I began to think I, I, I want to change. I don't, I don't want the drugs anymore. I don't want the money anymore. I don't want I certainly don't want to be in here anymore. Right. Like I, I just I just want to be free from everything. And in that moment of, of almost repentance, although I didn't know it was repentance, right? But I wanted to turn away from everything. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit hit me like a truck. Like the, the manifest presence and the power of God. Like I could physically feel the power of God coursing through my body like electricity sitting in that chair. And it was this totally ecstatic experience with God. And, uh, and when I felt that, I, I realized that that's what I had been searching for. That, that the presence of God, see, all these other drugs that I tried and, and, and went through phases of different drugs and different things, it, w it was all on a search for this, right? And, and what I realized as, as I've grown in the Lord, what I've realized is that the enemy, we have, a, we have an enemy, right? 
There's God, there's, there's the devil. But what I've realized about the devil, what it's important to understand is that he's not creative. He is not a creative being. He's an imitator. That's his whole MO. Since the beginning, he, he imitated God and got a third of the angels to follow him. He imitated a snake in the garden. The Bible says he prowls around like a lion. He's not a lion. Jesus is a lion, right? But he prowls, he imitates one. He masquerades as an angel of light. He's an imitator. That's his entire MO is to imitate, right? And lie. And, and I realized that every drug, every high that I had chased was a cheap imitation, right? Of the joy and the ecstasy that, that I was experiencing in that moment, experiencing the presence of God for the first time. So I dropped to my knees in a prison chapel <laughs> And I was on my knees. There was like 50 felons surrounding me, and I, I didn't care. I just dropped. I knew I had to get on my knees. So I dropped to my knees in a prison chapel. I was on my knees for about 20 minutes, just lost. Like, I, I forgot where I was. Like, I, I was totally lost in this moment. So when I opened my eyes and remembered, it was kind of a buzzkill. But <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but as I was on my knees, I, I, and my eyes were closed, but I, I had a vision of Jesus, right? As I was on my knees in this prison chapel. And I always believed in God, right? My whole life, I believed that something created. I didn't know who it was. I didn't know. I thought he wasn't a very nice guy. And I certainly thought he didn't like me. Like that was my extent of faith, okay? But I always believed in God. I just believed he hated me, right? So when Jesus, when Jesus came to me in that prison chapel, there was none of that. There was no condemnation. There was no anger. There was nothing that I had anticipated that he was, Right? Um, in fact, he only said three words to me. There was only an invitation. He stuck out his hand and he said, are you ready? Are you ready? And I said, yes. And I stood up and I was a different person. I had a new heart. Like, I never like found religion and tried to be better. Like, it, like, like I was born again and I couldn't stay the same. I mean, people thought I went nuts. I was like, I went from like, trying to be hard all the time and selling cigarettes on the yard, right? To like on my bunk reading the Bible and smiling at people. And everyone's like, don't talk to Jesse. He finally snapped, right? <laughs> but like, but, but like I, it was such an, an incredible difference. And I got out two weeks after that experience, I got out. And, uh, and my life changed rapidly, rapidly. To give you an idea of how fast my life changed, within one year I was in Bible college. Not only was I in Bible college, I was elected president of my class, in the Bible college. You guys didn't hear what I just said. A year after my last time in the prison, I was elected president of my class in the Bible college. That's insane. Like only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. And so I, I was elected president of my class in Bible college. And, uh, and I was there for, for two and a half years. That's where I met my beautiful wife. We fell in love doing street evangelism. And, uh, and we went on a two-week missions trip to the nation of Germany. It was supposed to be two weeks, right? So we went for two weeks on this mission trip. And it was kind of funny because the pastor who had invited us to come, he kind of sat us all down when we got there. We were there with a the team. And he sat us all down. And he said, listen, so here, here we are, right? We're ready for a pep talk from our coach. So he says, listen, don't expect anyone to get saved. This is not America. Thanks, coach. <laughs> like, we're, ready to go. we're ready to go win the game. The funny thing is I had already led someone to Jesus at the train station outside of the airport, so it didn't really affect my faith, 
right? So, so we were in this town, long story short, we were in this town for uh, two weeks and 60 young people came to Jesus. Um, they were having visions, like a Muslim kid had a vision of a cross um, and gave his life to Jesus. They were having visions. They were running and telling their friends. They were, they were the, the, the worst kid in town accepted Jesus and got me invited to the public school to preach the gospel. Like, I mean, God was just moving powerfully in these two weeks in Germany. So after the two weeks, we went to the pastor who had invited us, and we said, basically, you know, what's your follow-up plan? We have 60, 60 young people who are excited about the Lord. What's your follow-up plan? And uh, his church was in a different city, so they couldn't just go to his church. There was no real life-giving church in this city at all, right? So we asked him, what's your follow-up plan? And he said, well, I didn't expect this to happen. So in other words, there was no follow-up plan. So we were just burdened for these kids, my, my fiance and I. We were burdened for these kids, and, uh, and we began to pray and fast and, and say, God, send someone. Let me tell you, if you have a burden, it is very dangerous to pray for God to send someone <laughs> to me, because the burden is the first step in the calling, right? You guys understand that if you have a burden for something, God might be calling you to something, and you just haven't said yes, <laughs> right? Nehemiah's first step to being called to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem was the burden. He broke down and wept over Jerusalem, over the ruin, right? So that's the first step in the calling. So we had this burden and we began praying God send someone. So he spoke to us. This was in August. God spoke to us. He said, you guys go. You guys go. And he gave us a date. That was the crazy thing. He said, you're going to go on January 15th. So I don't know if you know anything about raising a budget as a missionary, but it doesn't happen in like five months, okay? It's just, it's just, it doesn't happen. And the thing is, we were only engaged. So we said, well, if we're going to go together, the first thing we have to do is get married, right? We can't go engaged. That wouldn't look very good. So, so we spent two months. We planned our wedding. We got married. We went on a two-week honeymoon. And then we had about two and a half months to try to raise a budget to live in Germany full-time. The good thing is I had been saved for like three years, so I knew like three pastors to call. Right, <laughs> but I didn't have a network. I didn't have like I did not have one promise of support. Nothing. My parents thought I was nuts. They weren't going to support me. Like pretty much everyone thought we were nuts, right? So so I had nothing. We had enough money in our bank account from our wedding to buy one-way plane tickets to Germany. So we bought one-way plane tickets to Germany for January fifteenth with not one promise of support. And then I, I called the three pastors I knew. Right. And and and, uh, and I met with them and they, they didn't say anything at first. And then I just prayed and waited and I didn't know what else to do. I was just praying and fasting and saying, God, if you're calling us, you got to do something. You have to do something. And three weeks before we were supposed to leave, there was one day I was like on my knees all day, like praying and fasting, crying out to God. Because I was I mean, I was kind of freaking out a little. Right. I mean, I, I, I'm a man of faith, but but I'm, I still have a human aspect. Right. So I was a little bit nervous three weeks when we still had not one promise of support. Right. Then I was a little bit nervous at this point. And everyone, by the way, everyone said, you guys are crazy. You, you can't do it this way. You have to take two years, raise a budget, slow down. People I love and respect coming to me. Right. Saying, listen, you can't do this. And, and I had to come to a place. Right. This was very defining in my life. I had to come to a place where I said, listen, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. And if I am, I'll fail. If I did not hear right from God, I'll fail. And I'll fall flat on my face and I'll come home. Right? But I would rather fail that way. <laughs> like, I'd rather fail by trying to follow the voice of God than fail by ignoring it. 
So I said, we're going. We're go- I mean, th- but there was like literally prayer chains set up for us to come to our senses, right? So, like, so, so we're three weeks before we're supposed to leave. We still have nothing. And I'm on my knees praying. And that night, everybody calls me. I got a call from Germany. We have an apartment you can live in. I get a call. I get calls from America. We're going to support you this much a month. We're going to support you this much a month. We're going to support you this much a month. One AG pastor of a church of about 300 who I barely knew called me and said, I talked to my board. We believe God wants us to give you $5,000 to get started and $1,000 for every month that you stay in Germany. My wife's preschool teacher came to the house the next day and said, God came to me in a dream last night and told me to give you $1,200. You guys aren't hearing what I'm saying. There should have been at least one amen. (laughs) Let me put it this way. God raised our entire budget to live in Germany for four and a half years in a day. (sighs) We lived in Germany for four and a half years, never came close to running out of money. We planted a church. We renovated it, everything. We had everything we needed the entire time. Two years ago, we moved. I got to be quick. I got to be quick. I'm not good at being quick. (laughs) it's hard. I go to Africa. They say, can you preach two hours? And then I come back. They say, can you preach 40 minutes? And it's hard to go back and forth. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so we came back. I got four hours. Good. It's going to turn into a hostage situation, but it's not my fault. Pastor said I could do it. I'm just kidding. I'll be quick. Some of you look sincerely worried. (laughs) Don't worry. I'll be quick. But I came back about two years ago to take over the ministry that that I'm running now of global renewal. And in this two years, God has blown my mind. Like to think of where I was 11 years ago. And in 11 years, this, this last two years, we, we've now started, started partnering. In fact, they raised their money through us. We're, we're their main partner with a ministry in India that rescues girls from sex trafficking. In the last month, we've sponsored nine girls to be rescued from sex trafficking. Um, we've, we've planted 10 churches in Nepal in the last two years. 10 churches. Pastors that we've raised up and planted. We, we did the first crusade in Kathmandu in 10 years because of the, the persecution and the resistance. And it was not easy, let me tell you, but God had the victory in the end. Amen. We, we did the first crusade in Kathmandu in 10 years. We planted a church in the coastal region of Kenya. I mean, so far in the last two years, we've planted 11 churches, and we're getting ready to plant our 12th in Uganda. On, we're leaving July 1st to go plant our 12th church in, in a 90% Muslim city in Yumbe, Uganda, northwestern Uganda. <sighs> I've been saved 11 years. Like, it's just insane to me. Like, I, 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 after this one in July, I will have planted more churches than years I've been saved. Like, <laughs> that's crazy to me, right? Like what God can do in a life. Listen, if you think that being a Christian is boring, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I promise you, because being a Christian is anything but boring, Right. And so, so God has been doing incredible things. And this, this next church plan, actually, is I'm very excited for. In, in the city of Yumbe, it's, like I said, it's 90% Muslim city. It houses the only unreached people group in Uganda. This is the places I go. I don't like going to very Christian places. I feel unnecessary. Like, I like to go where, where, where there is no witness or very little or there's majority Muslim or whatever it is. Like, that's where I want to go. That's where I want to be. Because I've learned something about the nature of light. Light shines brightest when it's darker. <laughs> Amen? It's just the nature of light. No, light is never overcome by darkness. It just shines brighter the darker it is. 
right? So I'm so excited to go to this place where in this region, two pastors that I know of have been stoned in the last year. Like, but, and that's not exciting. I don't want to get rocks thrown at me. Like, that's not the exciting part, but the exciting part is, and by the way, one of those pastors, we put her kids through school last year. So we, we try to take care of those people. But one of the exciting things, but, but the really exciting thing is to go into a place that's so entrenched in spiritual darkness and so far from the gospel that even, that even the Christian being there is offensive to them because they're so trapped in darkness. And to go in there and just shine with the love of Jesus and see a, a, a community transformed. It's like, we're going to plant a church. We're very excited. We already bought land and everything. We're going to plant a church there. Uh, but I'm not just excited about planting a church. I want to see the Oringa tribe transformed by the love of Jesus. Like, I want to see them come out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what excites me. I, I was there once before last year, and we did the initial evangelism. The first thing that happened, we were driving into the town. We had a truck full of Bibles. And, uh, and, and no plan what we were going to do. The, the AG in Uganda was hesitant to let us go in, right? And so they said, okay, we'll, we'll do a crusade in the neighboring refugee camp where they're mostly Christian, and then in the daytime, you can go in the, in the city. We said, okay, fine, let's do it. So the, the crusade was great, but I was really, I wanted to, to reach the city. Um, so we, were, we went in the first day. We had a truck full of Bibles. The first thing that happens, we drive by the central mosque of the city, right? And, and I want you to picture... This is the most undeveloped place I've ever been in my life. It's like mud huts and a mosque, right? <laughs> because the government doesn't like this tribe, so they don't develop their city, right? So there's this massive mosque, and then everything around it is mud huts. So it really sticks out, right? And we're driving through this city, and, and we're driving by the central mosque, and I saw a young man walking by the mosque. And I said, stop the truck. I want to talk to him. So I got out of the truck, and I started to talk to this young man. And I began to witness to him. And he was a Muslim, but he let me pray for him. He was open. And, uh, and as I was praying for him, a crowd started gathering. Because here's a white giant, right, in, in Yumbe, Uganda. And that's not normal, right? So, so all of a sudden, I have 20, 30 people standing in front of me. And so what did I do? I stood up and preached. So, like, it was crazy, though. God opened the door through no planning of my own. In fact, I would not have planned this. But God opened the door for me to stand in front of the central mosque of a Muslim city and lead Muslims to Christ. <laughs> oh man, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm protected. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing the things that God is doing and to think where I was 11 years. If you have any other questions about the ministry we're doing around the world, you can stop by the table on the way out. I do have to move on. Um, we have stuff you can pick up. We have a, our newest newsletter that just came out last week. You can pick up. I'd encourage you all to, to pick. That talks about the, the last nine churches and the crusade that we did in, in, in Kathmandu. You can hear a little more about that. Definitely encourage you to pick that up because it's a pretty crazy story. And, uh, and even more so then, I'm lucky to be alive than in Yumbe probably. <laughs> but, but, uh, but pick that up on the way out. And, uh, and there's other stuff. You can sign up for our newsletters. We have partnership cards if you want to be a part of this ministry going forward. I would encourage everyone to pick one of these up and at least pray for us because we need prayer. Like you hear the places we're going. This is not, this is not easy places, right? So we definitely need prayer. When Peter was thrown in prison, it was the prayers of the church that caused the angel to come. It said, but, but the church was in prayer, right? And, and it's the prayers of the church that really, they really affect things even overseas, right? So we need your prayer. Everyone pick one of these up. If you want to partner financially, there's that option as well. Even an option to possibly go on a trip in the future. So definitely grab one of these, grab a newsletter. I also have CDs. Um, 
I, I'm not gonna. I do Christian hip hop and rap. Um, I, I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, woman of God. She looks so so mad at me. <laughs> I do Chris. I do Christian spoken word and Christian rap. I'm not gonna do it here because when I think of New Cumberland and when I look around the room and even when I saw the reaction to the sushi burrito. Um, I just, I can't imagine there's many hip-hop fans here, but I do have this CD available. If you do want to hear it, you can pick one up on the way out there by donation. We have even a card reader out there if you want to donate for a CD or donate in general. Um, you can stop by the table. I'd be happy to answer any of your other questions on the way out. Amen? But really, when I think of, of what God has done, that 11 years ago I was a drug addict, and now I'm like traveling the world. I'm the president of an international missions organization. I'm leading movements around the world. I, I, I get to travel and preach to Hindus and Muslims and atheists and see them come to Christ. I get to plant churches. I'm, I'm, I'm a mentor to the general secretary of the Ugandan Assemblies of God. Like, what? Like, half the time I have no idea what I'm doing, by the way, right? But I just, I know the one who does, and he, and he helps me out, right? I just go. That's all I do. I just go, and, and God helps me out along the way. But when I think of, of, of just how, where God has brought me, it's just insane. And I'm not saying that to like brag, right? I'm saying that because what I want to tell you is that God wants to do the same thing in your life, right? Like, and, and, and it'll look different, right? I'm not saying that he's going to call you to leave your job and move overseas or do what, do, like preach to thousands of people or do what I'm doing, right? It'll be in your context, right? But in your context, he wants to do the same things that he's doing through me around the world, he wants to lead your coworkers to Christ through you. He wants, to, he wants to heal through you, right? He wants to give a word through you. He's your father. He loves to work with you, right? With everything that God is doing through me around the world, he wants to do through you as well. That's the point I want to make to you this morning, right? And, and I want to teach you with the remainder of my time. I want to teach you how to grow up and grow into the purpose that God has for you. How to grow up and grow into the purpose that God has for you. And especially for men, right? Especially for the fathers who are here, for the men who are here. We need purpose. It will never be enough for me, for you to tell me to, to, to come to church every week and, and sit in the chair and pay my tithe and sit on my hands until Jesus comes back. It'll never be the, I, I wouldn't make it a month, right? No, I need, we're, we're like, we're hunters. I need like, I need something to go after. I need a purpose in life, right? I need, we need something to chase. But the problem is, is that many of us never find what that purpose is, right? And so I want to teach you, first of all, what the purpose is, and then how to grow up and grow into the purpose that God has for your life. How many of you know God has a purpose for your life? Huh. I heard a preacher put it this way. I loved it. He said, he said, if God's purpose, you see how I'm pulling on this cord? I would be back there if I wasn't attached. I heard a preacher put it this way. He said, if God's purpose for you was just to get you to heaven, you would have disappeared when you prayed the prayer. <laughs> but you didn't. He left you here because he has a purpose for you on earth, right? And so I want to teach you how to grow up and grow into the purpose that God has for you. So the first step is, is how to grow up. I want to read a scripture in Ephesians. Let's just pray before I, before I go on. Let's just pray. Because hmm. I need Jesus. I saw a meme recently that I loved. It said, people ask me, do I need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? 
bruh, you need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. <laughs> and that's really how I feel, right? Like, I need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. I certainly need the Holy Spirit to stand up here this morning. Amen? So let's just pray before we, read the, before we get into the word. Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name for what you want to do in this place. God, I thank you for the word that you've placed on my heart to bring to these precious people. Father, I pray you would anoint it with power, that you would open the ears of the people here, that you would open the hearts of the people here, that you would give them energy to listen if they're tired. And Holy Spirit, that you would just move in this place right now. Move in this place. Father, I pray that every single person here would leave different than when they came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I want to read first the scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 15. The Bible says, so that we may no longer be children. So that we may no longer be children. This is God's will for all of us. So that we may no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By human cunning. By craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We are to grow up. Now, ladies, the verses I'm reading today, they all, they all use masculine words. Just, just replace it for you, right? <laughs> it, the, the principles still apply to the ladies here. But we're to grow up into mature manhood, right? Into mature, into mature adulthood, into every way, into him who is the head, into Christ. And, and, and just as a side note, men who are here, if you have a picture in your mind of mature manhood that doesn't look like Christ, it's, it's twisted. Your understanding of what it means to be a man is twisted because Christ is the ultimate manhood, <laughs> okay? Christ is the ultimate picture of mature manhood. So if you have some other cultural picture that doesn't match his personality, who he was, fix it right? It's twisted. Christ is the ultimate picture that we want to grow up into. Amen? Amen? But we're to grow up in every way. So how do we grow up? How do we grow up? I want to, I want to read you another scripture right now, and I want to tell you this morning the three stages of growth in the life of every Christian. Amen? The three stages of growth in the life of every Christian. Go, go with me in your Bibles to 1 John the second chapter. Jesus. Hallelujah. Verses 12 through 14. The Bible says, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for, my name's, for his name's sake. I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to talk to you from this passage about the three stages of growth in the life of every Christian. The first stage, this passage gives us three stages of spiritual growth. Three stages of spiritual growth. The first stage 
is becoming a spiritual child. He says, I write to you children. Now, now the Bible gives us two marks of what is, is the mark of a spiritual child. How many of you know that in order to become a spiritual mature man or woman, you have to first become a child? <laughs> you, you can't just all of a sudden be a spiritually mature man. You first have to become a child. Jesus literally said, unless you can become like one of these little ones, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't see it. So the first step in spiritual growth is to become a child. There are two markers in this scripture of what it is to be a spiritual child, this phase of growth. The first one, your sins are forgiven. This is the first step in spiritual growth, right? Many of us understand this is the first step in spiritual growth. We come to God with the, the heaping mountain mess of our sins, right? The Bible says, though our sins are like scarlet, he will make them white as snow. We come to God with the scarlet stains of our sin, and we lay them at, his, at the feet of a holy God, right? And he, and he wipes them away as if they never happened. We ask him to forgive us. We repent of those sins, and he wipes them away as though they never happened, right? And this is, this is it's kind of like I was thinking about this the other day. I'm going to have my record expunged in October. I'm going to have all the, the felonies wiped off my record this October, and, 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 and what that means is that it's as if they never happened. So when someone asks me, they reverse the plea. I pled guilty. They reverse it, and they, they make it an innocent plea and an innocent verdict, right? So what that, hap what that means is when, when someone asks an application, have you ever been convicted of a felony, you can write no, right? And this is like the same thing that happens when you come to God with those sins, right? He wipes them away as if they never happened so that now when someone asks you that question, you say, no, I'm a saint. I've been saved. This is the first stage of growth, having your sins forgiven. Amen? Maybe some of you haven't, haven't made that stage that are here today. If there's anyone here who hasn't come to God and had your sins forgiven, we're going to give you an opportunity at the end of this service to, to enter into the first stage of growth. Amen? The second mark of, of, of a child in, in the growth phases, right? Of this, the second mark of a spiritual child is that you know the Father. Your sins are forgiven, and you come into a relationship with a perfect, loving Father, right? And, and you become a co-heir with Christ. And you're given a spirit of adoption by whom you can cry, Abba, Father. And you come to know him as a father, right? This is, this is the first two markers. But one thing that we, we need to understand when we talk about God as our father, right? Oftentimes we talk about his love and his mercy and his grace and the inheritance and all that stuff. And all of that is more than true. More than we understand that's true, Right? But there's an aspect that we don't always get because in our cultural context, fatherhood is vastly different than the cultural context that this was written in, right? So when, when Paul is writing to the Romans, you've been given a spirit of adoption as sons. You have to understood what the Romans understood when he wrote that, right? Because fatherhood in America and in the Roman times when that was written could not be more different, okay? They are opposite ends of the spectrum, Okay, in America, I got to hurry. He said I'm good, good. <laughs> in America, fatherhood has been has been really lost. It's almost a joke, right? And even you see this on sitcoms. I hate sitcoms, right? I'm sorry if you like sitcoms. I don't like them. 
Every father on every sitcom is a total idiot, right? Even on kids' shows, I, I tell my wife, turn the show off. The dad's an idiot, right? Every father on every show is a total bumbling idiot, and then the mom has to come in and fix everything. But that is what our culture views as fatherhood. You want to know what our culture thinks of fatherhood? Look at Peter Griffin. If you don't know who that is, good for you. You shouldn't. But I wasn't always a Christian. Hollywood thinks that fathers are totally bumbling idiots who have no real role of leadership in the family. Now, on the other extreme of the spectrum, right? So I'm not saying either are right, but the other extreme of the spectrum was Roman culture, which was a patriarchal culture where the father had absolute control over the family. There was something in, in Roman culture called the, the patria protestas. Someone, I only know the, pronunci- the pronunciation because someone corrected me once. But the patria protestas, right? There's something in Roman culture where the father had total control over his children to the point of life and death. The father in Roman culture could literally have, kill his child legally. Like, I'm not saying that's good. That's, that's, we shouldn't have that right, right? But that was the culture that this is written to. So what that means is that when this is written, you've been given a spirit of adoption. Adoption looked very differently in Roman times. If you wanted to be adopted in Roman times, there was first three ceremonies that had to be done to sever the patria protestas of the birth father, to take that right from him. Because the other crazy thing is, is that that right never end. There was no coming of age. If you were 50 and your father was still alive, he's still telling you where to work. He's still telling you what to do. He's still in charge of your life. So first there was three ceremonies to sever that. And then there was two more ceremonies to be adopted by the new father and to give him the patria protestas. Right? So what does that mean? When the adoption ceremony was complete, the new father, first of all, you were completely legitimate as the other kids. You were an equal co-heir, right? Everything was equal. You had equal access to everything by law, right? The inheritance was equal. You were totally a legitimate child when this ceremony was complete. But the other thing it meant is that this new father had the right to your life. It meant surrendering your entire life and giving the patria protestas to another person. This is what we don't always understand when it comes to God being our father. It's not just the inheritance and the love and being a legitimate child and being a co-heir. It's not just those things. It's also surrendering the patria protestas of our lives to him. To where we say, God, you tell me where to live. You tell me who to marry. You tell me where to work. You tell me where to go. My life belongs to you in every way. I, I surrender everything to you, right? This is what it means to, to be adopted as a child of God. It means surrendering control of your life to, to a loving father. <laughs> you guys look like you're excited about that. <sighs> This is, this is the first phase of growth. People, people, look at it, they, people ask me, why did you grow so quickly? The only thing I can say is I surrendered. Where God tells me to go, I'll go. What God tells me to do, I'll do. Right? I'm surrendered to him. He owns my life. 
I don't own my life and I made him part of it, right? He owns my life, right? And that's, that's the key. If you want to grow, this is the first step of growth. People think this is the end goal. Someday I'll surrender. <laughs> this is the first step. And if we don't make this step, we sit around for 30 years and wonder why we're not growing. <sighs> this is the first phase of growth. I'm going to do the second too quicker, I promise. Hallelujah. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. The second phase of growth, becoming a young man in the faith, becoming a spiritual adolescent, right? The Bible gives us three markers of a young man in the faith. The first is you become strong. You become strong. When you are a spiritual child, everything is highly emotional. Paul writes, I don't want you to stay children any longer. Tossed to and fro by the, wi- by the waves, right? By the wind. When you are a spiritual child, you are tossed to and fro constantly, right? And we've all gone through this phase. Everyone here has gone through this phase of being a spiritual child, where, where your emotions throw you back and forth, where different doctrines throw you back and forth. One time you're following this teacher, and oh, he's so right, I'm so into him. Uh, yeah, he, maybe he's a Calvinist or whatever. I'm totally a Calvinist, I'm in this lane. And then you realize... Two weeks later, oh no, he was totally wrong. Now I'm following this guy. And you're tossed to and fro by by different teachings, by your emotions, right? I remember this phase. I remember this phase. I went through it where one week I'm encountering the presence of God and everything is wonderful and life is beautiful and I'm so excited and I'm on the mountaintop and the next week I don't feel his presence quite as much and I'm questioning everything. Right? And we all go through that kind of annoying phase of, of, of spiritual childhood, right? I remember one time I was in Bible college and I was on one of those times. I had just had an amazing week, but this week was not as good, so I was just down. And I was reading the Psalms and I, I began to pray what David prayed God, will you forsake me forever? Right? It's just, I was a kid, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I went to chapel that day, and the, the chapel speaker we were supposed to have was sick, so the president of our college spoke, and he got up to speak, and he read that psalm. (laughs) He got to the end of reading that psalm, and he looks up, and he says, I have the feeling that some of you have been praying this prayer. I think that's a stupid prayer. And I was, oh, (laughs) but it was so true. It was a stupid prayer, but I was in that phase where my emotions were controlling my, my spirituality, right? And that's that childhood phase. When you become a spiritual adolescent, you become strong. You become steadfast. You're not tossed to and fro by different teachings. You're not tossed to and fro by different emotions. You know what you believe despite what you feel, right? You might not feel healthy, but you know that God is your healer, right? You might, you, whatever it is, right? You, you might feel a certain way. You might feel like God's not there. You might not feel his presence, but you know that he's with you, right? And you become strong and convicted in what you believe. This is the first mark of a spiritual adolescent, right? You become strong. And, and the reason for that is the second mark. The word of God abides in you. The word of God abides in you. I want you to understand something, church. This is not like any other book. I see people treating this like any other spiritual growth book. This is not like any other book, okay? This is a supernatural book, all right? When you start to read the words of this book, there's something supernatural that happens in your spirit nature. 
where the, where, where the word begins to take root inside of you. Listen to what the Bible says. I want to show you a contrast. In John 8, first in John 8. Listen to what the Bible says. Jesus says in verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus says in chapter eight, if you abide in my word, but look what he says in chapter 15. This is very interesting. He flips it. In chapter 15 in verse seven, he flips it. He says this, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Do you see the difference? There was a seven chapter process happening, right? Where in John 8, Jesus was saying, just abide in my word. This spiritual childhood, right? You start to abide in his word, okay? And then John 15, he flips it. If my words abide in you, this is what happens in spiritual adolescence. You've, you've started to understand the scripture. It started to come alive and produce fruit in you. And it's become part of you. It's become revelation to you. And that's when Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it will be granted to you. But it's, he doesn't say that the first time, right? But it's when the word abides in you. So this is the second mark. The word, you start to notice, you're not just reading the Bible and trying to understand it, but it's coming alive in you, right? This is the second mark of spiritual growth. The third, the third mark of spiritual growth is you overcome the evil one. You overcome the evil one. The third mark that you've entered into this stage of spiritual adolescence is the devil has no hold on your life anymore. Doesn't mean you're perfect, but he doesn't own you in any area. There are no addictions, right? There, there are no things like, even if you fell with, there are, no, there are no abiding sins in your life. You've overcome him in your spiritual walk, right? This is the second mark of spiritual adolescence. The reality is, is that 65% of adult men regularly view pornography in, 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 in general, in the world. 64% of Christian men regularly, there's a 1% difference. There's a 1% difference. That tells me that only 1% of Christian men have even entered into this stage of spiritual adolescence where they've overcome the evil one. And it's easy to condemn people, right? It's easy to condemn and say, well, they're not really saved or whatever else or question their salvation. A lot of times it's not that they're not saved, right? They, they fall and they hate it. They weep, they repent, whatever, but they, they're, still, they're still in their spiritual childhood, it's not necessarily that they're not saved. They're spiritual children. And they might not think that, right? They might not think that I'm a spiritual child. They might have excelled in other areas. But that is the sign, right, that they're still in their spiritual childhood. And they need someone to take them by the hand and bring them out of it, right? So, so it's, not, it's not to condemn anyone. If, if anyone here is struggling with that, it's not to condemn anyone. But it's to say there's a lot to grow and there's freedom, right? And there's steps to move on to. And maybe the step that you're missing is that surrender, right? That total surrender. That's the first step in growth. Anyways, moving on, moving on. The third phase of spiritual growth. And this is very interesting. This is where I'm going to close in just a couple minutes. The third stage of spiritual growth. See, what's interesting is not the description because it almost sounds like the first stage. The description is just, you know, him who is from the beginning. What's interesting is not the description, it's the title. 
the natural progression of thought would be, I write to you children, I write to you young men, and I write to you old men, or you, or you elders, right? That would be the natural progression of thought, but that's not what this says. It says, I write to you children, I write to you young men, and I write to you fathers. I write to you fathers. And that is because age has literally nothing to do with spiritual maturity. <sighs> you could be in a church for 30 years and still be a child. Age has nothing to do with spiritual maturity. The mark of a spiritually mature person is he has become a father in the faith. There, there, there's a, a saying that people like to talk about. If you're in ministry, you've, you've definitely heard this saying. I know pastors heard it. Everyone's heard it. There's a saying that people like to throw around. They say, healthy things grow. Right? Healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. Okay, there's some truth to that. But it's not the full truth. Because the truth is that healthy things grow to a state of maturity and start producing offspring. <laughs> if, if, if you were to just, if you saw a man who never stopped growing, 70 years old, 15 feet tall, still growing. And he could not produce offspring. There was something medically wrong where there was no offspring being produced. You would not look at him and say, wow, that's a healthy man. Right? No. Healthy things grow to maturity and begin to produce offspring. They begin to multiply. This is the sign of spiritual maturity. You begin to have offspring. You're making disciples. You've gone through these stages of growth. See, again, even at the first stage and at the second stage, people think, well, that's the end goal. If I know the word, I've overcome sin. You know, I'm strong in what I believe. That's the end goal. No, that's only the second phase. Because once you go through that phase, once you go through the childhood, through the young man, you've overcome the devil in your life. You know, all those things, you start producing children. You start having spiritual offspring. I get all the time at altar calls, I get, I get men coming forward to the altar, obviously passionate about Jesus, obviously mature in their belief. And they, and they come forward and they say, I just, I, I know God has more for me, but I don't know what it is. And they'll say there's no opportunities that, that, that are presenting themselves. In other words, what they're thinking is somebody needs to give them a microphone or somebody needs to tell them to lead a small group. Or somebody needs to give them a class on Friday evenings. And I tell them, find somebody in the church who's either not a Christian or who's a baby Christian or whatever and begin to father that person. See, we have never had this modeled for us in the modern church. This is non-existent, right? The idea of true discipleship, true mentorship, spiritual fatherhood, you don't find it right? And so since we haven't seen it, we don't know how to do it, right? But it's very simple, okay? Find somebody. Lead them to the Lord. Ask them out for coffee. This is, listen, don't be weird, right? I'm going to father you. Pastor, I want to father you, right? Like, okay, it's, it's not like a weird thing, right? It's not the title that you take. It's the role that you take. That's what I'm trying to say. So invite them out to coffee. You, I, you know, I really see something in you, man. I just, I want to be a part of your growth. Would you have time for coffee this week? I just did that. I, I preached at a, at a place a couple weeks ago near my house, and, and there was two people there who I found out were unsaved, 
after the service and who are, who are trying to get out of drug addiction and stuff. And so I, I contacted them and I said, hey, I would love to meet you guys for coffee. Do you have time? So I met them this past Thursday at a coffee shop. I shared, I shared the gospel with them very clearly. They accepted Jesus. I met them again. I'm meeting them again next Thursday. I already got them Bibles, and God gave me a message for each of them for in their Bibles. But it, this is what it's about, right? Having offspring and raising them. Another, another problem with, with our understanding is, is even if you're bold enough to do evangelism, oftentimes our version of evangelism is try to lead someone to Christ, hand them a Bible, and tell them to find a church. That's your child. <laughs> like That's literally like you just gave birth to a child, and then you take them out into the woods, set them down in the woods, hand them a Bible, and say, find a church. <laughs> no, that, that's your spiritual child. That's when you step in and you raise them and you bring them through these phases. And there's people I'm mentoring now who are very much in this phase of, of spiritual childhood, right? And it's super annoying because sometimes it's like everything's the best thing in the world and the next day I'm doubting everything and this and that, but that's not the time to abandon them, right? That's the time to take them by the hand and walk them through these phases of growth, I want to tell you something. There is nothing more exciting on earth than to see one of your spiritual children begin to have children. This is true maturity, right? When you, when you start to see your spiritual children who you've reached out to in your workplace and you've led to the Lord and you've brought to church and you've begun to disciple and you start to see them have spiritual children of their own. I don't know if any of you grandparents in, in a natural sense, you know what I'm talking about. Seeing your kids grow up and, and, and get married and have kids is so rewarding, right? It's the same. When you have a spiritual child, watching them grow up in the Lord and begin to have children of their own and begin to make disciples, this is the way the church was meant to grow, by the way. It is not pastor's job to grow this church. Can someone say amen to that? It is his job to, to make sure that you are all healthy and growing in the way that you should in Christ, right? It is not his job to grow the church numerically, right? The church grows organically when the people of God reach maturity and begin producing offspring. If you guys were to take hold of this, can you imagine if every one of you just found two people in your workplace and began to pour into them and began to mentor them or, or in your family or in your neighborhood or whatever it is and began to mentor them and began to disciple them and became spiritual parents to them. Can you imagine if each of you only found two, this church would triple? <laughs> this, this is the way that the church was meant to grow by people coming to maturity, having children who have children who have children who have children. It was never meant to grow through programs. Not that programs are bad, but that's not how it was meant to grow, right? It's through what I'm talking about today. And if you are able to grasp this, this is a very new concept to people, right? The idea of making disciples even is foreign to us, which is crazy. It's the Great Commission, right? But, but if you're able to grasp this and begin doing it in your daily lives, not only are you going to grow, but this church will grow. 
And you're going to start to see things change in the places that you are. You're going to start to see things change in your workplace, in your neighborhood, right? So that's my encouragement to you on Father's Day. Be spiritual fathers, right? Be spiritual mothers. Start to invest your life in people. Like these two kids, man, that, that I just led to the Lord, when you start to do this, God is going to share his heart of a father with you. I was in my, my room yesterday praying for them and just weeping. Like, I don't even know where that comes from. I'm not an emotional guy, right? But it's just the heart of God as a father. And you start to see that, but you don't really see it until you start fathering and mothering people, right? And mentoring and discipling people. So that's my encouragement to you today. I'm going to close in prayer. I know I went way too long. I'm sorry. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would seal this word in every heart in this place. Father, that wherever people are, that you would bring them to the next phase of growth, God. That there would be people in here that start to step out as spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers and start to produce offspring and personally start to lead people to the Lord and start to raise people up in you, God. Father, I pray that this church would grow through the people in the church recognizing their identity, recognizing their calling, and coming to maturity and beginning to produce offspring. I pray that you would give us the heart of a father and of a mother to those people who you would bring in our lives. In Jesus' name. And if there's anyone here, as, as our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed, if there's anyone here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I always want to give this opportunity. I don't know you guys. If there's anyone here who has not made that first step of growth and surrendered to God, surrendered the control of your life, had your sins forgiven and come to know him as your father, if there's anyone here who has not made that step this morning, I want you to raise your hand right now. And we're going to pray a prayer and give you the opportunity to do that. If that's you today, if you're here today and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, just raise your hand right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I was looking around. I thought you were all Christians already, but I wanted to make sure. <laughs> Amen. I always want to make sure. Hallelujah. Father, I just thank you for what you've done in this service. I pray you would seal it in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.